0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 10 the deposit of the holy spirit for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands meanwhile we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul, who was a tent maker by profession, not only knew what it was like for an old tent to wear out but he also understood the contrast between a relatively fragile tent and a solid building and in this case what he has in mind is the contrast between our mortal bodies and a building from God an eternal house in heaven not made with human hands that's what he's pointing to So our human bodies are frail and we face very real physical difficulties during our earthly lives. However, I trust you have been applying the word of God that we have been studying in these chapters and really throughout the word of God, throughout the scriptures. I trust you have been applying the word of God that we have been studying to see ourselves as we really are to see God as He really is and therefore when we know what our condition is and we know who God is and what His character and nature is we are able to depend on God alone to redeem us, to transform us, to preserve us and to empower us with all that we need for life and godliness. Ultimately God brings us out of our light and momentary troubles on earth to bring us into his eternal glory. Light and momentary troubles and brings us into eternal glory. So how do we live on earth with an eternal versus temporal perspective? We abide in the presence of the Lord. We fix our eyes on what is unseen We live by faith, not by sight. We live in the fear of the Lord in awe, honor, and obedience of the Lord. We endeavor to please the Lord. And we are conscious of and diligently accountable to the Lord for all that we do in the body, so that we may one day confidently stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He says, we will be able to stand before the Lord, before the judgment seat of Christ. So let me make one important point here about this judgment seat of Christ or what is also referred to as the judgment seat of God in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It's the same Greek word, bima that is used in both verses as believers in Christ, children of God, those who have been saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, resulting in the cleansing of our sins, We are not going to be judged in heaven for our sins. If you've had that image in your mind that when you get to heaven, there'll be a big screen there and all your sins will be projected and everybody will say, oh, I didn't know that he did that. Right? That's not what the judgment in heaven is going to be. Because when we come to the Lord Jesus and we repent as believers in Christ, children of God, those who've been saved in these ways, when we repent, when we appropriate the sacrificial payment of Jesus' blood and ask God to forgive, forgive us of our sins, our sins are indeed forgiven and removed, cleansed, washed, made as white as snow. They are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That's the promise of the Lord. So when we get to heaven... We're not being judged for our sins. We are instead coming to this judgment seat of Christ for a very different reason. You see, as believers, we are already in the kingdom of God. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it is to give account of what we did in the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom of God. How we obeyed the king. How we stewarded his resources that he entrusted to us until his return. How we obeyed his great commission to go into all the world to preach the gospel. Whether we loved people because we loved God and whether we made disciples. That's what we're giving account for. We're not giving account for our sins. We're standing before him to say, Lord, I was obedient to you. And the master is able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. The master is able to say, I gave you these two talents. You have made them four. I did this for you. You obeyed me. And here is the fruit, the lasting fruit that came from it. That's what we're being looked at or evaluated for in this time. So if you see what, what we are when we are reading about the judgment seat of Christ it is what we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15 where it says this now if anyone builds on the foundation of Christ the solid rock if anyone builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each one's work will become manifest for the day What day? The judgment day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. When we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, what is the outcome there? What is the outcome of that evaluation, of that assessment? Rewards that are in keeping with our individual labor of love on earth in obedience to the call and purpose of God. God is saying, this is what I asked you to do, this is what you've done, here's your reward. It is as if the Olympic champions stand on the podium and they say, you came first, here's your gold medal. You came second, here's your silver medal. You came third, here's your bronze medal. It is that kind of a seat of judgment or evaluation or assessment. And so we stand before the Lord. And so Paul is saying, I, I long to stand before the Lord with confidence. Now, again, mind you, our goal is not to become the most rewarded. We're not trying to do that, right? We're, we're not saying, I, know, I, had more, I got more rewards than you. you know, I already have a glimpse of what's coming in heaven and I know I have more rewards than you. This is not at all about self-glorification. It is, we're going to be in eternity with the Lord. But this is an accountability to the Lord to say, Lord, this is what you gave me. And I was faithful. I was diligent. I was disciplined. I was purposeful about what you gave me. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. What's the task? What is the assignment? What is it that the Lord is entrusting and calling you to do now? Maybe it's just to pray for somebody. Maybe it's to go over and to visit with someone. Maybe it is to, you know, to lay hands on someone. Maybe it is to preach the gospel. Maybe it is to go to a foreign country and to declare the good news of Jesus. Whatever it may be, it's that you would say, Lord, I'm faithful. I've simply done what you have asked me to do. That's what he's looking for. And so rewards in keeping with that labor, with that obedience. But, you know, all of that is pointing to the fact that we are to fulfill our purpose on this earth. And that's where I want to focus this morning. How can we fulfill the purpose of God? How can we do that? Because all this time, you know, even as I've been talking about us living in frail bodies and, you know, jars of clay and everything else, you may start to feel a little overwhelmed. You say, yeah, okay, you know, this Christian life, it's kind of difficult. Well, let 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 me tell you this. This Christian life is not just difficult, it's impossible. It's actually impossible because if you really want to live a victorious Christian life consistently for the rest of your life, no matter what your age, it's actually impossible to do it in your strength. One day somewhere, somehow you'll fall. You'll fail if you're trying to do it in your strength. But if you are relying on the power of the Lord Jesus to sustain you and you are relying on his wisdom to guide you and you are relying on the Holy Spirit so that you may stay in step walk in step with the Holy Spirit oh it's a whole different life it's not that you may not stumble it's not that you may have some you know difficulties but you're able to live in the joy of the Lord that will be your strength you're able to live in the victory of God you're able to say Lord with you all things are possible all things are possible and so that is the promise that we have, that we have been called to fulfill the purpose of God. But this morning, I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We just read this just a few minutes ago. It says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose. What purpose? To be clothed with our heavenly dwelling when we have fulfilled all that he has intended for us on earth. That one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I, I you know, I, I trust you just... Read that phrase again and again and again and just get it deep into you. The Lord Jesus, God himself, has placed in you the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Think about somebody who would come to you and say, Look, I'm I'm going to do this big investment. I've got this whole thing. I want you to be a part of this and everything else. And as my promise that I will do this as, a, as the guarantee that I will take, you know, ha- make this deal happen or whatever else. I am putting into your hands a million dollars worth of whatever, gold or bonds or something else. And he says, look, I'm putting this in your hand as a deposit. The whole project is tens of millions of dollars, but this is my deposit to show you that I'm going to do this. And when I have made this deposit, when I'm giving you this guarantee, I'm making a promise to you that I will carry out the rest of it. That's what Jesus is saying but the deposit that he puts into our hands is not some material thing it's not gold or silver or riches of some kind it's not even peace and calmness and rest of some kind in the in the natural it's not perfect health and you know uh, just something in the in the natural the deposit that god gives to us is himself He says, I give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come into you. And the Holy Spirit will inhabit you. And the Holy Spirit will guide you. And the Holy Spirit is the deposit in you that guarantees that I will do the rest. Oh, most days, we are not conscious of this incredible truth. Maybe there are times, there are points in time where we suddenly say, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But if every single day we will walk in the awareness of what the Lord has done for us, I guarantee you our thoughts, our actions, our lives will be different. If we are constantly aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and we'll say a little bit more in just a second, but that will transform us. And if this phrase that we've read here in Second Corinthians chapter 5 is familiar, sounds familiar, it's because it's virtually the same as what we read in Second Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 22, it says this, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. We don't waver back and forth. We're not fickle in our thinking. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. He was, but in him it has always been yes For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken to us by the glory or to the glory of God. Verse 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He poured out his Spirit on us and he consecrated us. He made us pure. He anointed us Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 to 14. In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There is that Building not made by hands that is your possession that you will acquire in eternal glory that the Lord is saying, here's your down payment. Here's your guarantee. Here's your promissory note. Here's the deposit. You're going to inherit this. This is yours. Both Ephesians chapter 1 and 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 have the additional phrase, that seal of ownership, making it very clear that having received the Holy Spirit when we believed in our hearts and confessed with our mouths that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we now belong to the Lord. And that initial filling of the Holy Spirit, that initial deposit, is a surety, is the guarantee that God will keep His Word. But... The filling of the Holy Spirit in us. The pouring of God's treasure into these jars of clay. It's not restricted to a one-time occurrence when we were saved. It is not just a one and done. The Holy Spirit is to be continually filling us. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, the present Imperative command, the 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 the, the impelling, a compelling statement that is made there. The present imperative tense of Ephesians five eighteen that commands us to be filled with the Spirit is saying is referring to the need for us to be regularly, more and more, again and again, to be regularly filled with the Holy Spirit, instead of just being filled with anything else that would compromise the anointing of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes into us, He consecrates us, He anoints us, He's filling us, and then what do we do? Instead of continuing to be filled with the Spirit, we go fill ourselves with something else. You know, your car is meant to take premium gas, you go fill it with something else, it won't run as well. There'll be a problem in it, right? So when we have the Holy Spirit coming into us, the goal is not just to say, oh, thank you Lord for that, now I'm okay, I'm on my way. But to say, Lord God, continue to fill me. Continue to refill me. Continue to let the Holy Spirit come into me in all of these ways. As an example of this refilling of the Spirit, we see how the same believers who were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and spoke in tongues are described in Acts chapter 4 as being filled in the Spirit again and speaking the word of God with boldness. Same believers. But it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. There is an experience here, there is a need here. The Bible tells us that the filling or refilling of the Spirit is to help us comprehend the love of God. The refilling of the Holy Spirit is to purify us. The refilling of the Holy Spirit is to empower us, to embolden us, to help us walk in the path of life to run the race set before us without stumbling, to give us authority over evil principalities and powers. The, the refilling of the Spirit is to heal us. The filling of the Spirit is to deliver us. The filling of the Spirit is to comfort us, to remind us what Jesus taught, to make us wise, to reveal reveal the will of the Lord to us, to help us obey the Lord, to help us to pray and then to pray from within us when we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we may bear the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we would share the gospel with others. The Holy Spirit fills us to give us the gifts of the Spirit so that we may minister those gifts to build up the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we may mortify, so that we may put to death the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And the Holy Spirit Fills us so that He may continue to transform us into the image of Christ. Clearly, we need the continual, the continuous infilling of the Holy Spirit while we live on the earth. It's like you can't pump gas in your car one time when you first bought the car and say, I'm good for the rest of the time that I'm driving this thing. You've got to have the Holy Spirit filling you and filling you and filling you and refilling you and filling you so that you say, in all things, at all times, in every way, I will move by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how we can understand this, you know, just to make it a little bit clearer so that you're not, you know, thinking, ah, how does this work? When we're filled with the Spirit, when we are being filled with the Spirit, We're not getting more of the Holy Spirit himself than when we first believed. We didn't receive only one part of the Holy Spirit when we first became believers, right? The Holy Spirit, part A. And then later on, we got part B, part C. It's not like that, right? A hand, a a foot, you know, I got the Holy Spirit's eye. You know, no, it's, the Holy Spirit comes in as a person of the Godhead. A full person of the Godhead, God himself, coming into this. We didn't receive only one part of this Holy Spirit. But when we are regularly filled with the Spirit, the Spirit gets more of us. It's not that we get more of the Spirit. The Spirit gets more of us. And so we are allowing his presence to fill more areas of our hearts and our lives. We are dying to self and yielding more of ourselves to the control and authority of the Spirit. When we first accept the Lord, we say we are surrendering. Oh Lord, I surrender everything to you. But we've walled off certain areas and we have kept certain things for ourselves. And we've held on to certain things, sometimes even without knowing it. And then as time goes and the Holy Spirit keeps dealing with us gently and in a beautiful, wonderful, wooing way, we say, oh, I need to surrender this area. And I need to surrender this relationship. And I need to surrender this desire. And I need to surrender this ambition. And I need to give all of these things to the Holy Spirit. And in all those areas, in all those places in my life, all that space, oh, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want Him to come and fill me. I want him to come and occupy those spaces. I don't want it to be my own thing. I don't want it to be that I've got storage and I've got, you know, all this stuff that I've stowed away. No, no, no. I want you, Holy Spirit to come and fill me. I want you to be in control. And so if our challenge, if our goal, if our desire is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then I want to give you a few points on what it means to be filled with the Spirit or how we would be filled with the Spirit. If you would go to the next slide, gentlemen. And here it is. Very simple. The Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, we must desire it. First and foremost, you can hear me say all these things. And you can say, ah, okay, sounds good. But if you do not desire to be filled with the Spirit, the Lord doesn't force his way into you. The Holy Spirit does not overwhelm you. The Holy Spirit doesn't take charge until you say, I open the door. I yield. I welcome. I desire. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1 commands us to pursue love and earnestly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts Or, as we have talked about it and during that period, to eagerly desire the gift giver, to eagerly desire the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit, desire the presence of the Spirit. To, the Bible speaks about us hungering and thirsting as the deer pants for the waters. Having that kind of a desire that says, I will be satisfied only when I have this. I will be quenched only when I receive this. And this water that the Lord has promised, this living water that the Lord has promised, that's what I need. That's what I want. I desire this. And I am calling out to you, Lord. I want you to respond to me. Because then the second thing is, that it's not just having a desire, but it's asking for it. It's not just having a desire. You, you could see somebody being filled with the Spirit. You could see the Holy Spirit at work in someone else and you say, oh, I'd like to have that too. But you never ask. You never come to the Lord. You never spend time with Him. You never come into the relationship by which you are able to receive. So you never ask. And the, the Bible, in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, it says this, On the last day of the feast... The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But you understand that even before Jesus says, wait, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and they waited and on that day of Pentecost just a couple of weeks ago when we were celebrating that and we were acknowledging what the Lord had done, right? But even as the disciples were being prepared for that, even as they were anticipating that, Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me and ask me for this water, living water, I'll give it to you. Ask. He said, you know, if you who are wicked know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts, give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? How much more? The Bible is always talking about contrasts. And the contrast that that was giving us is this idea that the Lord desires to meet our desire and respond to our request by saying, yes, here, here. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. Next, we have to receive it. You may desire it. You may ask for it. You may even receive it. Or oh, pardon me, you may, you, may, you may have asked for it, but you don't receive it. Why? Because you simply haven't waited. Acts 2, 1-4 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues, of fire, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus said to them, Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you. But there was this act, there was this obedience there was this waiting there was this receiving when the Holy Spirit came, they were there ready to receive and when the Holy Spirit started to manifest they willingly received now, I can assure you none of those 120 people had seen tongues of fire before they didn't sit there and say oh, got it I saw this last week right? I I, I know what this is Holy Spirit is coming. Okay God, good, great, wonderful. They received because they had been positioned to receive. And so when something happened that was totally unexpected, totally out of the norm, not at all what they were even understanding or comprehending, but it was what John the Baptist had alluded to all those years ago when he said the one who is coming after me will baptize you. With the Holy Spirit and fire. And so as the disciples are sitting in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them with tongues of fire, they're able to receive. And finally, you have to manifest it. By the way, just one more point on this idea of receiving it. Before even Jesus was glorified, all right, or when he's uh, before he's ascended into heaven and he before the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And when he had said this, he's talking to the disciples, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them, he's giving them the very prompt and saying, Be ready, be ready, receive the Holy Spirit. All right, and then final point here manifest it. You have to desire it. You have to ask for it. You have to receive it. And then you have to manifest it. What does that mean? That when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, how will you know? Is it because you speak in tongues? Possibly. Is it because you feel something? Possibly. Is it because somebody else says to you, Oh, you received the Holy Spirit? Possibly. But you will know that the Holy Spirit has come upon you When he starts to use to manifest himself through you. To go into all the world. To heal the sick. To cast out demons. To stand in the authority and the power of the Lord and to see the deliverance that the Lord will bring. So the Statement that's made in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and in in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 and my speech and my message Paul is saying and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Holy Spirit doesn't come just so that you can say, I got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes so that there is the manifestation of it for the common good. How do you know that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit? There's a manifestation of it for the common good. So this morning, I want to encourage you that you would respond and apply the word of God that you have heard by being regularly filled with the Spirit. In just a few minutes, we're going to take some time for prayer. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a, you know, as we come to that. But I want to encourage you. This is not about feeling or even experience, but rather about faith and obedience. Because the, I, the statement to be filled with the Spirit is not stated as an optional thing. It doesn't say if you think about it, if you feel like it, if, you, if it's convenient for you. It says be filled with the Spirit. Be more and more filled with the Spirit. Be regularly filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be refilled. Be encouraging the Spirit to have its way in you. The deposit that was put into you Let it continue to be filling every part of you. Let it be having his way. Now, next thing, and and when you're asking the Lord to do this and to be regularly filled with the Spirit, this is not about asking once and quitting. This is not saying, well, I I went and, you know, I prayed and nothing happened. But rather to persist in prayer. To keep asking. To keep saying, Lord, I'm hungering and I'm thirsting for this. I won't give up. I'm not going to stop. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the manifestation of the Spirit in me. And until this is quenched, until this thirst is quenched, at least for now, for this season, I'm going to keep asking. And when my thirst is quenched at that point in time and I receive this living water from from you and these streams of living water flow from me to others, oh Lord, then I'm going to come back and ask you again. Because I will need to be refilled. And I'll need to manifest your power and your spirit and your wisdom again. And I'll come to you again. And again, none of this is for our sakes. None of this is for our glory. It is for the benefit of others and the glory of God.